you'd bow with me, I'm just going to read some scripture from Psalm 116. We'll be there in a minute. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Father, thank you today that we get a chance to lift up a cup of thanksgiving for your goodness. We come today, Lord, recognizing that we've not fulfilled our vows. We left last week wanting to fulfill our vows. But this week, with temptation and distraction, discouragement, we've not fulfilled the vows. We've departed. We've grown silent. But we come again today, Lord, in the presence of all of your people to ask you for the power of the Holy Spirit to give us a new vision of Christ that we would once again be committed with joyful hearts to fulfill our vows, to say yes to the God who said yes to us. Father, we've never needed you more. We thank you that we can lift up our voices when we cry and you hear us. Star maker, Grand Canyon digger, you hear our voice. You hold the trees of the redwood forest and you hold us and you hear our voice. We cry out, oh God, if you do not hold us up like the trees, we will fall. We will leave. We will grow hopeless. Hear our voice, oh God. Let us see something we've missed. Hear a new word that's presently been silent to us. Speak to us, oh God. Let us see Jesus. Let us love Jesus. And know more than anything else how much he loves us. We pray for the world. They're suffering. They're hurting. But they're heaven bound. In Christ, they're heaven bound. We love our brothers and sisters. Might today their heads be lifted up through our prayers. And might they cry out again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Of all the sports commercials that I have ever seen through the years, the one that I have enjoyed the most and the one that I have learned from the most as a pastor is one by Michael Jordan entitled Failure. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Who talks like that? Who says, I have failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed? If there's one quality of athletes that I always admire more than anything else that they do, it's their ability, their willingness to go to a press conference, post-game, loss, maybe close, maybe humiliating, but they sit there and they take it and they own it. 
And there's something about athletes, something that somewhere along in life they have tasted the pleasure enough of victory that they're able to work through grueling losses, difficult practices, caustic reporters, crazy questions, and they're able to say it's worth it because of this sense of victory. The reason that I love the Apostle Paul is that he was able by faith to be able in the midst of grueling losses to see and taste victory and stand before the church of Corinth in one of the most famous post-game conferences or post, uh, 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 televisions and, and say the conversations and say this, 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart for our light and momentary losses are achieving for us an eternal victory that far outweighs them all. Last week, we launched into a little mini-series here in 2 Corinthians 4 entitled, Do Not Lose Heart. It was based on that verse 16 along with how the chapter began in verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. I find that to be, as a minister, I find that to be a very interesting phrase because many ministers, because they do have the ministry, they lose heart. Every month in America, 1,500 ministers leave their churches, leave pastoral ministry. Only one out of 10 ministers that's presently pastoring somewhere will make it as a minister to retirement. 90% will quit. So Paul says, I'm encouraged because of ministry. Because of suffering, I am encouraged. If anybody would have said, I have a reason to quit, it would be the Apostle Paul. Angry crowds beat him, and confused churches deserted him. And yet Paul said, we do not lose heart. Last week, we looked at three reasons, just a review to get some momentum of why he did not lose heart in the midst of ministry. He said, number one, the gospel ministry connects us with a transforming God. So there, if you listen to last week's message, Paul said in, at the end of chapter three, no matter what I'm feeling, I know that God is always at work. Said that clear in verse 16. God is always at work no matter what my feelings are saying. He's a transforming God. Number two from last week. I'm encouraged in the gospel ministry because it frees us from manipulating outcomes. To reach this world, I don't have to be cool. I don't have to wear skinny jeans. I don't have to be like the world. I don't have to be even liked by the world to have an effect on the world. I just have to preach, and the Word will do the rest. God will transform when I don't have that power in myself. Number three, Paul says, I'm encouraged in the gospel ministry because it heals spiritual blindness, that if you stay at this long enough, you preach sermons, you witness family, friends, coworkers, classmates, eventually even the darkest and most depraved mind will see Christ. You keep holding up Christ to people, eventually they will see him and they will say, I give my life to God because I'm convinced he's good because of Christ. The gospel heals people of spiritual blindness. Number four, what we're looking at today, why Paul is not discouraged, does not lose heart, is 
The gospel gives clarity for our suffering. And it begins with one of the big encouraging verses on suffering in the New Testament. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. When Paul described himself as a, a, a clay jar, he was using a phrase that was very familiar in the first century. Clay jars were abundant and they weren't pretty. They were common. Some of them were used to bring water in from the well. Some of them were used to bring human excrement from the house out to the landfill. But they were nothing, plain, ordinary. And Paul said, this is precisely my point. My body, not impressive. Face, not handsome. Speech, nothing to brag about. Fame, nobody cares a lick about me. Net worth, like the rest of you, barely making it from month to month. It's no standing in society. And yet in this unimpressive clay pot, God has poured the life of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in here. And that's why I have power. Nothing about the external body, but everything about the internal Christ. The reason why Paul said this is because this church, I told you, Paul had, he dealt with two things, two types of suffering, beatings from the world and departure of loyalty from his churches. And here the Corinthian church was saying, if you really were an apostle, if the hand of God were really on you, you wouldn't be as suffering as much as you are. Like there's no way God can be in this if you're suffering degree you are. And Paul did suffer a lot. He describes how much he suffered at the end of the book. He said, I've been beaten with rods, pelted with stones, shipwrecked. I've been in danger from thieves. I've often gone without sleep, often gone without food, and I've often been cold. Now, this looks like an admirable list to us of saying, hey, this guy's willing to pay the price, but not for the Corinthians. They interpreted this as the hand of God must not be on you if you're going through all of this. Something must be wrong with the plan to suffer this much. When Paul left the church of Corinth there in Greece, false teachers flooded into the town. They were slick. They were handsome. Like they could, they were so good, they could like sell ice to Eskimos. And the Corinthians would believe anything they said, and they were departing from the gospel. And Paul said, this is another way I've suffered to watch you as a church leave Christ because of all of these voices that are competing. And he includes this in his list of suffering. He says, besides everything else, besides all these beatings, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the church. Who is weak and I don't feel it? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Guys, anybody who does this for a living, and they'll tell you the greatest heartbreak of a pastor is to watch believers that you've poured your life into be seduced by the world 
or, or, or be, be pulled away by pain and they leave Christ. Paul says, it causes my heart to ache and to, I'm on fire with agony. But the Corinthian church was leaving him because these false, these false prophets were saying, God would not ask you to suffer like this. And Paul said, to the contrary, there's a purpose in my suffering. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. In other words, there's a reason that God is asking my body to be all beat up and my heart to break so that when mighty things happen, people can say, well, it couldn't have been Paul because he's nothing. Paul, what is it? He says, it's Christ. So if you want to know why you're going through the agony that you are, is so that when you come out of it, when you have these good days and the people that are around you, that know you, that love you, that are watching you, they say, how in the world are you able to endure this? You can say, I can assure you it's not me, but it's Jesus. And they will listen to you because they've seen you go down and they've seen some power pull you up. This is how Paul would say it today. God places the treasure of the gospel in ordinary people. So the focus will be on an extraordinary God and not extraordinary people. In other words, the less that people pay attention to you, the more they pay attention to God. And we just got this all backwards today. We would say, man, if this businessman would get saved, everybody would pay attention. If this athlete would get saved, no. We need a bunch of unordinary people to get saved. That's who the world will notice. A bunch of people in pain to get saved. God is saturating the world with suffering believers so they can give a witness to how God rescued them in the midst of their suffering. Now, in the next verse, Paul tells us exactly what it's like to be a clay pot Christian. The pressures you face when Jesus pours his power into something that's not in itself tough. 2 Corinthians 4.8, maybe one of the all-time, definitely the top five verses of the Bible. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. <sighs> Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I think we need to do a little Bible memorization today because you're probably terrible at it. So I want to make you do it with me. I'm going to say it. And then you said after me. So we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, what does he mean by all of those fancy words? Hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. He's talking about this clay pot. These clay pots could handle a good bit of pressure on top of them without breaking. Paul is saying, 
Yes, God is putting enormous amount of pressure on you at this time in your life. But it's not for the purpose of breaking you and making you useless. Don't interpret that. Pressure, yes. Useless, no. You're interpreting your pain wrong if you say, it's made me useless. You're not handling the pain and the power of the Lord. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Are you confused right now about what's going on in your life? Like, I don't know what to do next? That's fine. That's, that's a rule. You could be confused. I find that most of the Christian life is confusing. Like, I don't have a lot. I can't string a lot of days that say, I really know what's going on here. I don't understand why this would hurt, why this didn't work. But I'm not in despair. It's confusion, but it's not hopeless because I know that there will be a day when I do know. So I'm confused today, but not always. Persecuted, but not abandoned. This was a word to the preacher's in Paul's day, who got run out of town, they'd be preaching a sermon, and all of a sudden a crowd would come, a riot would come, and they would be chased out of town and mocked and made fun of. And Jesus said, yeah, when you're running out of town and they're persecuting you, Jesus said, I'm running with you. I, I'm not abandoning you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. They run you out of town. They run me out of town. We're going together because I'm with you, child of God who believes in me. Struck down but not destroyed. This is a wrestling term. Struck down means it's a wrestling term. It means be it's a takedown. I'm, it's a it's 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 a word of these preachers. Not only did they get chased out of town, sometimes they were taken down, literally on the ground, beaten. They would die, and Jesus said. When they take you down and you're laying on the ground, I'm laying on the ground with you, beside you. And I will hold you until your final breath. And when you breathe your final breath, I will take you to glory. But they will not destroy you. Nobody has the ability to destroy you. Only take you down. But Christ will always take you up. So the common theme in all of these opposites is Jesus saying, I allow this, but I don't allow that. It's his presence is in this. My presence. I'm going to limit your suffering. I'll let you go here, but not here. This can happen, but not this. My presence is in all of this. But Paul says it's not just the presence of Jesus that's encouraging us. There's a purpose of Jesus. And he goes on to describe that. These are three purpose statements in a row. They're huge. Why the suffering? We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus purpose so that the life of Jesus may be revealed just in case you didn't get it, he says it again. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? Purpose. So that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Third purpose statement. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. When Paul said that we always carry around in our body the death of Christ, 
in his mind, he was thinking of an event in the Greco-Roman world, parades, when like a pagan, a group of pagans would, would go into a city and try to enlist new converts. They would hold a massive parade. I've seen dozens of them in India. And these, the pageantry was excessive. And these many floats would come by, lots of music, lots of noise. And on top of all of these floats, these flower-decorated floats, would be these images and objects of the God that these pagans worshipped. And they, they carried their gods through the town to enlist new worshipers from the pagan community. And Paul said, I have a parade. And my parade, when I go to town and try to new converts, he said, on my float is one thing. I carry the sufferings of Christ. That's the only thing on my float. Because it's the only thing that can bring hope to the world and change the world is the crucifixion of Christ for sins. Paul said that's the only thing I carry into the city is, what does he say? The death of Jesus. How do you carry the death of Jesus around? How do you carry the suffering of Jesus? Listen, when you go into a city, you go to your college campus, and you start talking about Jesus has died for your sins. The suffering of Christ is your answer. And you tell that to somebody who doesn't want to hear that, his suffering is going to lead to your suffering. It's going to be rejected. So Paul said, I carry about the suffering of Christ in my suffering. When I tell people about the suffering of Jesus and they don't want to hear, that's going to cause some suffering for me. But Paul says, I always stick with that message. No matter what culture wants to hear, I'm always saying the cross, the cross, the cross. Why? He tells you. Because if I do it long enough, even though death is at work in me, I suffer, life eventually comes to others if I continue to uphold the message of the cross. And he says that three times. I always keep preaching the suffering of Christ. No matter what, no matter who believes or doesn't believe, I always, because here's the principle, it's called the death life principle. If I die to self, the life of Jesus is going to be made known to the world and he will save people. Three times in these verses, death out of life, death out of life, death out of life, or life out of death, life out of death, life out of death. Then Paul says, I believe so much in this life out of death principle, nothing's going to make me quit. Look what he says here. This is very interesting. I love verse 13. It's my favorite part of 2 Corinthians 4 because it doesn't make any sense when you first read it. He says, it is written, I believed, therefore I've spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. So, he said, what are you saying? Well, what he said right there is, if you believe something, you're going to speak it. And if you're not speaking it, it's because you don't believe it. Now, that's big in itself. He said, I believed, therefore I do what? Not speaking, you're not believing. 
But what he's really wanting us to do is to say, I'm giving you some breadcrumbs, some clues of some other place in the Scripture I'm really thinking about right now. When he says it is written, like I said, where's it written? Where's that written? That's what I asked this week. Where's that written? It's, I believe, therefore I speak. I don't know where that is. So I had to look it up. It's found in Psalm 116. So when Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, he's really saying what's really on my mind right now is Psalm 116. This is why I don't quit. Okay, I want to know that. So you go to Psalm 116, and you find in verse 10, I believe when I say, that's what I found this week. I said, that's not, I believe, therefore I speak. Well, do you like different translations of the Bible? I do. Well, if you read the Greek translation of of that Hebrew verse, that's how it's translated in the Greek. And that's what Paul was reading. He was reading the Greek translation of the Hebrew and found this, I believe, therefore I speak. And that's all in Psalm 116. So what Paul is trying to say is, if you want to know what's the secret of my perseverance, it's in Psalm 116. So then we got to say, well, what's that about? Well, it's about a guy in severe trouble is what it's about. Psalm 116, verse 3. That's the, the psalm I read to you to lead into my logo time prayer. The cords of death entangled me, and then I called on the name of the Lord, save me. That's precious, isn't it? I mean, you're probably praying that this morning. Save me. Save me. Well, this guy got saved. This guy got rescued, and he writes about it. He didn't die. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So Psalm 116 is written by a guy who was in severe trouble, thought he was going to die. God saved his life, and he writes Psalm 116 saying, Oh, thank you, God. And I know that many of you could write Psalm 116 times in your life when you thought it was all over and God did something. New job, maybe brought about your marriage, health. It's like something happened. He rescued you. And he does that a lot, but not always. And the psalmist knew that. Sometimes he doesn't rescue you from death. So the psalmist wrote about that too. That's also on Paul's mind. This is what the psalmist said. Psalm 116 verse 15. But if he didn't deliver me, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. I've never spoken at a funeral and not read this because it's so important to me. The word precious is just not used that often in Scripture. It means something that's not taken lightly, something that's sacred, special, calculated, well thought about. Like if you had a Babe Ruth baseball card and it was worth a million dollars because it was completely flawless, a perfect Babe Ruth card, and someone across the room said, hey, can I see it? Would you thump it to them? No, because it's precious. You would carefully think about how you're going to carry it, and you would carefully think about how the, the condition of the hands of the person is going to receive it. It's important to you because it's, it's being treated as special. And this is what the writer says in Psalm 116. 
This is what Paul is saying is death is that precious to God. It's not trivial. It's something well thought out by God. He doesn't take it lightly. And if God doesn't take death lightly, the psalmist is thinking in his mind and Paul is thinking in his mind, if death is so special to God, so planned out by God, God is extraordinarily near with his comfort in the process of dying because it's so precious to God that God is making a decision. This is it. This is the day that God is there as he's never been there before. All of that is comforting to the psalmist and to Paul. Paul knew the early Christians, they were fed by scores and scores of them to the lions in in the first century in the Roman Colosseum. And it looked like the Romans were winning. And it looked like, like death was flippant. And God said, no. This is the time and this is the place and this is the means I'm choosing for these believers to die. Missionaries all around the world today, this past year, suffering. There are scores of Iranian believers today imprisoned in railroad boxcars, either in scorching heat or brutal winter lows. They will die there. There will be people in South Carolina today will die of COVID. Believers. There will be babies that were born, and when they take their first breath, will be their last breath today. And God said, the death of every believer is precious to me. Carefully thought out, well planned. This is the time, and this is the place. And so all of Psalm 116 is in the mind of Paul when he's talking about his own suffering in 2 Corinthians 4. My life is precious to God. My ministry is precious to God. My suffering is precious to God. And my death is precious to God. And you know, the one thing the psalmist could write about, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Obviously an ultra cool verse. But you talk to Old Testament people about, do you really know you're going to live again? They had no idea what we know. Paul said, the reason why I'm not discouraged by my suffering is not from Psalm 116, but from 2 Corinthians 4.13. I mean, 2 Corinthians 4.14. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. And this is why death is precious. This is why, listen, death is a legitimate enemy. No doubt. A legitimate enemy. Bible calls it an enemy. But the reason why it's precious is because it removes from us the final thing that separates us from seeing God face to face. That world That other world is right almost in front of us. Our mortal eyes can't see it, but it is not very far away. And death removes, for the believer, us from this world into that world. But the reason why Paul was very encouraged by his own suffering and impending death 
is because not only would it bring him into the presence of Jesus Christ, but everybody that ever heard and believed his gospel would also be in the presence of Christ. Look how Paul ended that. I'll just read the whole thing. This is why he was encouraged. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise Jesus and present us with you, church. Paul said, I can endure all of this suffering because when I preach, when I witness, when I share, when I pray, when I give my money to the causes of the kingdom, it will cause people to be with me in the presence of seeing the resurrected Christ. And that's why I will suffer, and that's why I will not quit. And Paul said, because so many people around the world will be with me because of this preaching, Paul said, look what's happening. Look what's happening in heaven because of his preaching. All this Now, you know what this is now. You wouldn't have known it before today, but all this suffering, verse 15, all this suffering is for your benefit, unbeliever, now believer, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Paul is saying, because I've suffered, because I I stayed in my parade holding up the cross of Christ, people believed In Angola, in Liberia, Taipei, Beijing, London, Paris, Istanbul, Montreal, Mexico City, Calpin, Spartanburg. (laughs) People are in heaven and they are overflowing with joy as they're seeing face-to-face the goodness of God because I didn't quit preaching. And he said, that's why I'm not going to quit. This is the purpose of life, the very purpose of mankind, to enjoy God will only be fulfilled when believers are willing to endure suffering for Jesus' name. Paul said, that's why I'm not going to quit. And that's what led him to write. Therefore, because a lot of people are going to be in heaven, we do not lose heart. It's not because pain doesn't hurt. It's because people are going to go to heaven. That's why he doesn't lose heart. Though Outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed by day by day. Let's see, it's... 11.51, you got in here at 11. You're 51 minutes closer to Jesus. You're 51 minutes closer to all of this being over. Outwardly, wasting away. Inwardly, one hour closer to Christ. Which led Paul to say in verse 17, for our light And momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You could get your feelings hurt if I I read this. You say my, my, my troubles are light, Paul? No. He knows you're heartbroken, which is an understatement. He knows you're deeply, intensely Emotion numb, devastated. 
But he calls them light because compared to the day when you open the door of mortality and look into immortality and see the beauty of God and all those with the resurrected Christ in uninterrupted joy in the city of God, the joy that they're experiencing and that you will experience is a million times greater than your present sorrow. And that's why he refers to your sorrow as light. Only because of the weight of joy to come. So do you know what, what you do then? You say, well, that's where the joy comes from is looking out there. Then the, the goal of life is to keep opening that door and look. And that's what Paul said. That's how he ended the passage. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. As a pastor, I've spent my life dealing with loss, agony, and I walk with family after family, person after person through it, and I know that this event This loss is going to scar them. They're never going to be the same. I know it. And 34 years of walking with people through it, their scars partly, not fully, partly become my scars, sort of a cumulative effect. So I know that none of us are going to get through this if we just only look at here and now. I'll quit. You'll quit. So I tell all of them, every person, If you want to survive this, I'm going to tell everybody now, we'll just go on equal ground right here. I don't know what you're going through. Some of you do. Many of you I don't. If you want to survive this, every day you have to open the door of God's truth, look out into eternity with the eyes of faith, and there you will see Christ resurrected from the grave and all those who believe in him are with him in the city of God. The only hope for a broken heart is a long, steady look at Jesus. Not a Sunday look, but an everyday look. Not a casual look, but a concentrated look. I love what Alexander McLaren says, do not let tears so fill your eyes that you cannot see the goodness of the Lord. Every day, you rip a page out of the Bible and you wipe your tears with the truth of the Bible so your tears do not keep you from seeing the goodness of the Lord. If you live in a valley... You have to climb to the top of a hill to see the ocean. If you're in a valley of sorrow, every day you have to open the Bible so you can behold your God who's preparing for you a home in the land of the living. Let's pray. Father, 
Today you've chosen to speak through a, a clay pot. My words, unimpressive, powerless, like the babbling of a child. But your words, you Jesus inside this clay pot, infinitely beautiful and hopeful. You Jesus, you speak a word and an ocean gets calm. You speak a word and a leper is healed. You speak a word, 5,000 hungry people have dinner. So it's your words, Jesus. It's your love. It's your sacrifice. I didn't sacrifice to write this sermon. You did. You bled for every word I spoke. You bled for every word of that Bible. So that there would be something to back up my little sermon. The death and resurrection of the Son of God. Raising all people who have died into the presence of God in His city. So, Father, we do thank You there's hope. Yes, our body is wasting away. Many of us have less strength today than we did last year. No doubt. More problems, less answers, more confusion, less clarity than right now than this time last year. No doubt. And yet we were being renewed day by day. You were at work. You're going to raise us up. You're going to give us new strength in time. You're going to give us a witness to tell people about a Christ who makes it possible to walk in the land of the living. Oh God, come Holy Spirit, help us to open the door of mortality, to look into the other world, the land of the living, the land of Christ, the land of our Father, the land of uninterrupted joy, and say, I believe, therefore I speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you